Uh, I'll ask that you guys get your Bibles out, and uh, well, I mean, it could be uh, paper, it could be digital. Uh, we're in Judges 14, um, so as we get there, I'll do uh, just introduce myself a little. Um, a lot of new faces here, a couple of familiar faces. Uh, it's been a while since I've been back in Guelph, Randy Town. Uh, great to be back. I love how the roads are mostly clear outside of some construction. Where I'm from, that's definitely not the case. It's always a bad time to drive in Brampton, so um, really happy uh, to be back. Actually, the last time I was here in this room, we were doing a launch party for our church plant in Brampton. So for those of you that didn't know, uh, myself and my wife were sent uh, from Guelph, from this church, um, after doing a two-year internship here to plant a church uh, with a similar philosophy, uh, similar uh, sort of um, strategy of reaching the city through missional communities. Uh, and now it's been like almost four years. It's crazy. Uh, we're back with uh, two kids. That wasn't the case when we left. Uh, they're here, and my wife is managing somehow. Daylight savings is brutal, I've learned. Uh, with kids, uh, as it is for everybody else, but maybe a little more with kids. Um, I'm really glad to be back here. It's really uh, awesome to be at the mothership, so to speak. Um, so, and uh, as we're going through Judges 14 and 15, it's, uh, it's, good, uh, it's great that I get to uh, share uh, through the story of Samson for a couple of reasons. One, my daughter has a little, um, you know, kid's uh, Bible, a uh, little kid's story Bible. And I'm not entirely sure the exact reason for this, but every time she reads that Bible or she wants to read that book, she goes to the story of Samson. Now, I don't know if it's like in the middle of the book or it just opens naturally to that or if there's something about his story that is super attractive to her. I mean, we'll learn today. It's kind of a tragic story. Some of it is really hard to read, uh, so bear with me a little bit. But, you know, some things that are hard to read uh, are also purposeful and intended by God to teach us something. So that's what I'm hoping for. The Bible for her was known as the Samson book um, for a long time. So uh, I'm glad to be preaching from this because I know it word for word in the kids' storybook Bible. Um, which kind of helps here a little bit. <laughs> uh, the other reason um, I kind of love the fact that I'm preaching through this is that this big, strong man in Samson, like this guy who like, eradicated a whole bunch of people with a jawbone, we'll, we'll read that, kind of reminds me a little bit about myself. But maybe not for the reasons you might be thinking. <laughs> Um, Samson's greatest weakness is his brokenness. Um, we'll learn today that our culture is enticing, uh, but we are weak and we need God's grace to save us. You know, when I was, uh, I graduated from York University, uh, superior to that of Guelph, I tell my wife every day. Just kidding. She, she graduated from Guelph, so we have this little rivalry going on. Uh, I remember in my last year that I had a roommate who was finishing up his last essay, his thesis, um, and as he was typing it out, I'm sure you guys can um, appreciate this, but as he was 
typing it out and doing the last minute edits. He gets to the last few paragraphs, the last few pages, and then all of a sudden, the letters turn into weird symbols. And then the symbols start to move around on the page. And then all of a sudden, his screen goes blank and it doesn't turn on again. I think there's a special place for people that want to hack students' laptops. I mean, there's not a lot of money in there or like access to it. But he lost his entire thesis, and we stayed up all night trying to revive his thesis by thinking about what he's written, thinking about what he said, and write it up all over again. Fortunately, he did okay, it was fine. But similar to this computer, all of us, including Samson, seem to have a virus. We have this weakness in us, no matter how high our calling is, no matter what skill that we have, we confront our brokenness consistently. This is why I feel like Samson. Like, do you ever look at the chapters of your life and think, look what I messed up? Why couldn't I have just controlled myself? Why couldn't I just held my tongue, not said that? What if I just said no, or just not returned that call? What if I chose to stay home instead of going out that night? And it was mentioned in uh, the sermon sort of leading here. The book of Judges starts off, you know, uh, about these like really good leaders coming out. God calls them to lead their people from oppression, and they revive them. Uh, God revives them, uh, rescues them in miraculous ways, and they follow his word. I think it was mentioned a couple weeks ago that there's this spiral that seems to be happening through the story. There's this redemptive arc, and then it just goes down. Um, But it also seems to get worse every single time this happens. And we're confronted with a really tragic story here. Um, And in many ways, uh, the Old Testament scholars point that Samson's story was supposed to represent all of what was happening in Israel throughout her history. Uh, The author of Judges definitely points out parallels between Samson and Israel. Both were brought brought to the world through a miraculous birth, uh, and to an older couple nonetheless, Abraham and Sarah for Israel, Manoah and and this unnamed woman. Uh, For both, God took something weak and made it incredibly strong. Uh, We'll learn that Samson's strength was definitely not just of his own, but something that the Holy Spirit puts on him uh, throughout this story. Both were given a special law, a code, that was supposed to separate them from the other nations around them. For Samson was the Nazarite code. Uh, Spencer preached through that last week. Uh, And then for Israel, you have the law in in Leviticus. And both were drawn... um, by things that they shouldn't have been drawn by. Samson was drawn by foreign women. Um, Israel was drawn by foreign gods. So Samson's story really tells us Israel's story. And maybe if we're here, it might tell us something about us too. Um, When I think of a modern-day Samson, I think of uh, this guy by the name of John Jones. If you don't know who he is, he's a... well, he was more famous before, but he, he, he's a good UFC fighter, someone that I followed uh, quite a bit. I enjoy uh, watching MMA, trying to do some MMA, not very successfully. Actually, I did win my last fight, so maybe a little bit successfully. Um, 
He has a really crazy story. Uh, he was the youngest light heavyweight champion. Uh, he just lost one fight. Uh, he's won all of his other fights. He's never lost his championship. He, like since winning, he's never lost. Uh, two weeks ago, uh, Dana White, who is the president of the UFC, uh, said like he said that John Jones for him is still by far the pound for pound best fighter he has ever seen. It might come to surprise you then, for uh, in that the last three years John Jones has never fought, um, yet he still has this renown around him because of the skill that he showed. He had a very high skill level. He was gifted really well. He was the tallest. Uh, he he was always the tallest and 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 the most agile person in in that octagon. And in spite of all of this, over the last many years and all through his career, he has really struggled uh, to keep his focus on fighting. He he's uh, been in prison a few times. Um, he's been convicted of abuse a few times. Uh, he's really fallen short of what he could do with the skill, the calling that he had on his life. And that kind of reminds me of, uh, I was reminded of that as, as I was reading the story. And we'll get back to that a bit later. Uh, but let's, uh, let's start off right at, the, right at the top of chapter 14. Uh, we're going to jump a little bit throughout this. So forgive me, this is a large chunk of text. Uh, but we'll try our best to get to everything. So right at the top of uh, chapter 14, it says, Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. It's kind of cool they could just tell your parents to do that. Um, But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives? or among all of your people, that you must go take a wife from an uncircumcised Philistine? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. Um, so we see Samson see this, uh, this girl, automatically falls in love with her. Love at first sight can be a very powerful thing. It can be a very dangerous thing. Uh, we need to remember is that it is entirely possible for us to fall in love with someone or something that we have no business falling in love with, which is exactly what we sort of see here. Um, in demanding a Philistine wife, Samson showed his sinful disregard for his parents and God's will based on the law that they had as a people. We see this in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 7, verses 3 and 4. Bound by romantic feelings, there are many people who, st- who still demand from God a mate out of God's will. Uh, for us sitting here today as Christians, uh, many of us might quote Second Corinthians 6.14 that sort of uh, instructs us not to be unequally yoked. It isn't because those who are not Christians are not lovable. It's not because they're not good enough or worthy of our love or that they are somehow inherently incapable of a good marriage or that uh, they're worse than us or we're better than them. It's simply because to be Christian means that Jesus is the most important thing in your life. Over and over again throughout the Bible, God instructs his people, both in the Old and New Testament, to put him first. That is how we were built and created, to worship him first. And so when you're unequally yoked with someone that does not share that with you, 
you can't share the most important thing that you have with the person that you're with. And that seems to be, uh, that, that seems to be really hard. And in, in the case of Samson, this is something, again, he was supposed to be a leader amongst these people. He was supposed to be set apart, living through this Nazarite way of life on top of uh, the law that the Israelites had. And he demanded this of his parents. In verse 4, it says, um, His father and mother did not know what, that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines, at the time the Philistines ruled over Israel. Now, in this, in this story, this is by far the crux and the hardest part of these two chapters is understanding what is going on here because it seems like upon natural reading that God sort of wanted Samson to do this, and that's not the case. None of what Samson did was justified. Though God can make the things that we do, the, uh, the sin that we have, the deci- bad decisions that we make, and turn it around for good. It says here that God was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. Well, we'll talk about the significance of the Philistine rule over Israel, how different it was from how, other pe- how the other kingdoms had uh, sort of oppressed Israel. This is a bit different. But the principle here that I want you guys to remember is that no matter how much good God can bring out of even bad, the bad things that we do, he can bring far more good out of our obedience than our disobedience. And in the process, if we do abide in him, if we do follow uh, the calling that we have on our lives, we will experience much less pain. So in spite of the fact that, that God was working throughout all of this, that he was in the background moving all the pieces uh, or sort of going according to his will, even based on the fact that Samson was being disobedient, we need to know that God would much rather work out his will through our obedience than our disobedience. For me, as I think about God being in the background of all of this, it's actually a source of comfort for me. You know, throughout uh, my life, and I imagine for a lot of you, you know, we go through ups and downs, through chaos, through dark times. God's sovereignty for me was, has always been a source of peace and rest, knowing that God is there in the midst of all of this, in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the chaos, has been a great gift for me as a believer in Jesus. I think about all the things happening in our world today, like we're just coming out of Uh, a pandemic Um, and I think next week you get to have our masks off so I kind of wish I was here next week with see your faces at least Uh, but that's okay it's important that we have them on we have a war happening Uh, it seems like all of a sudden even though I mean if you read the news this was pretty much being planned throughout uh, the last couple of years it's hard to know exactly what God is doing, but I hope as, as believers sitting here today, and I hope my brothers and sisters in the Ukraine can rely on God's sovereignty, can rely on God uh, for peace and rest during this time. We may not have all the answers. Uh, in Brampton, I'm preaching through Colossians, and uh, we were focusing on the preeminence of God, the preeminence of Christ, 
And one of the things that comes with that, God being sovereign, preeminent, and and over all things, is that we may not have all the answers, but we can continue to trust Him and rely on Him because of His character and what He has done for us. He is worthy of that. But remember, God would much rather work in our obedience or us abiding in Him than in our disobedience. Uh, from, I'm reading from 5 to 9, just moving on with the story here. Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, so the parents sort of relented, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came towards them, roaring. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. In the translation of the storybook Bible, it says as one tears a piece of paper, if that helps. Uh, but he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. And then he went down and, uh, and talked with this woman. She was right in his eyes, as we saw before. After some days, he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. He scraped it out and with his hands and went on to eat it as well. And he came to his father and mother and gave them some Gave, gave them some and they ate it. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey out from the carcass of the lion. Uh, so a couple of significant things here. Um, Samson going to a vineyard. Um, this is a little bit significant uh, because in the Nazarite law, as, as we learned last week, uh, a, person is, uh, a person that is following in this calling, it reads in number 6, verses 3 and 4, He shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar made from wine or strong drink, and shall not drink any of the juices of the grapes, or eat grapes fresh or dried. All the days of his separation he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grape wine, not even the seeds of the skins. So it seems like Samson was sort of playing with fire a little bit. It doesn't say that he partook of anything in the vineyard. We don't know. But he is coming close to compromise. And then we have this really great story of a lion sort of leaping upon Samson. And it says in some translations, in, in some translation of the Hebrew directly, it says the Holy Spirit leapt onto Samson. And I think this is really cool because I don't know about you, uh, but over the last couple of years, it feels like there's been a lot of things leaping onto us. Maybe we've confronted a lot of sin in our lives. Maybe isolation has been really difficult. Maybe some of us have lost our jobs. Our businesses are really struggling. We're confronted maybe with our lust. There are a lot of things being leapt onto us. But we see here that the Holy Spirit leaps onto Samson and he was able to rip apart this lion like it was nothing. And I don't know what it is exactly for you guys here today. What exactly that sin issue is, that, that, that brokenness is. But know that the Holy Spirit can leap in and rescue you from it. It's important... It's important to know that the Holy Spirit of God wants to come upon us and give us power. Power for far more than just ripping apart lions. The Holy Spirit comes upon us and empowers us to live as God wants us to live. 
He even gives us power to share this with others around us. It's his power at work in us that we share. It's really important to know that we don't do this on our own. And no matter what you've done before, you need to know that God is close and he can leap upon you. And like I mentioned, this story is kind of tragic because right after this, right after this incredible thing, uh, he goes on to defile himself in the terms of his Nazarite vow again because what ends up happening is he rips apart this, this animal. He goes to see his, uh, his wife that he perhaps was not supposed to marry. And then he comes back to see what he has done. Like I think sometimes we tend to do this. Like we accomplish something great and we come back and say, oh, look at what I've done. Look at that lion. Look at what I did. And then he goes in and he notices a swarm of bees and he sticks his hands in there, takes out this honey. The Nazarite law actually teaches that you are not to touch anything uh, that is deceased, no carcasses of any kind. And we see that he defiles himself by doing this, which is probably one of the reasons why he didn't tell his father and mother, but he continues to give them the honey that came out of it. We're getting the sense that Samson does kind of what he wants to do. He follows his own impulses, disregarding the high calling on his life, disregarding uh, the law that his people has, and he was supposed to be one of their leaders. He compromises himself continuously. Uh, I'm going to quickly read from uh, following uh, from 10 to 20. It says, And his father came down to the woman, and Samson prepared a feast uh, for the young men as they used to do. So he, he's coming here to sort of have a bachelor party. As soon as the people saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. So this would be his 30-man uh, bridal party. It's a pretty large one. And I can imagine of these men, very few people actually knew him really well. I don't know if you've ever been part of a bridal party where you didn't know the bride or groom really well. You're just kind of asked to be there and you're kind of wondering why. I've had that experience in my life. I'm not going to tell you who. Not that you know this person. But it kind of felt weird. So I, I imagine that for these 30 men, these Philistine men, they're kind of wondering, like, why are we doing this? But... Nonetheless, they wanted to be part of a drinking party, and that's what happened. This is another way we see Samson defiling himself. Uh, And so as they're partying, Samson said to them, Let me now put a riddle to you. If you can tell me what it is within seven days of the feast and find out, uh, I will give you 30 linen garments and, and changes of clothes. But if you cannot tell me what they are, then you shall give me 30 garments of linen and 30 changes of clothes. And they said to him, put your riddle that we may hear it. And, and he says the riddle. But before I get to that, just, just to make a point. If Samson won, he would be by far one of the richest people in, in both the Philistine people and the Israelite people. These clothes that they're talking about are pretty expensive clothes. You can imagine it being like an Armani suit today. So imagine having all of a sudden 30 Armani suits. Um, I don't know what the equivalent is for my sisters today. I'm not going to attempt that, but anyways, um, it is significant what's happening here, because if he loses, he then owes that, which is a lot, and we'll see how he figures it out, but this is the riddle. Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of strong came something sweet. 
we know what he's referring to. And in three days, they could not solve this riddle. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband to tell us what this riddle is, lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us here to impoverish us? And Samson's wife wept over him and said, you only hate me, you do not love me. You put a riddle to my people and you don't tell me what it is. And he said to her, behold, I have not told my father or my mother. How shall I tell you? It's interesting that as he was hiding his defilement from his father and mother too, he's now openly boasting about it. Again, another example of where you're seeing sort of Samson do whatever he wants to do, disregarding his calling. She wept before him the seven days, and their feast lasted. On the seventh day, he told her because she pressed him hard. Then she told the riddle to the people. And the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, so just right before he was about to win this contest, they said to him, What is sweeter than honey, and what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, if you did, had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found this riddle. So just to clarify, he's very angry with his wife. And he basically tells the Philistines, if you had not worked with my wife, if you had not used her to get this answer, you would not have found out. So he was understandably really mad. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And he went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 men of the town and took their spoils and gave the garments to those who he had told the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house. And the chapter ends by saying, and, his, and Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. We'll, we'll take that up in the next chapter. But very quickly here, we're seeing again uh, Samson openly talking about his defilement, openly saying, like, look what I have done in spite of the fact that everyone knew he was not supposed to do that. And then his wife, uh, because of the threat of him, of her losing her father's house, being, having it being burnt down, maybe killed, got the answer out of Samson, and, and, sh- and she told them. Uh, as the story continues, as the story ends uh, with Samson next week, I think, uh, would be the end of the story of Samson. Uh, you learn that this sort of theme plays out again in another story. But we see Samson tell his wife and his wife betray him and tell uh, these, these people and he has to now kill a whole bunch of people to get, to get these garments so that he can pay them. We can't ignore the fact that it says that the Spirit of God came upon him to do this. And I want to refer us back to uh, verse 4, where it says that God was working in the midst of all of this to create division amongst the Israelites and the, and the Philistines. And I, and I want to get back to that a bit later, why that was really important. But let's continue with the story here. Um, in chapter 15, so we're in the next chapter, it says, After some days, at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife, or so he thought, with a young goat, probably to rip it apart. Um, And he said, I will go to my wife in the chamber. But her father would not allow him to go in. And her father said, I really thought you you utterly hated her, so I gave her to your champion. So, 
essentially the father assumed because of what uh, this, uh, this girl had done that Samson would want nothing to do with her. So he married her off to his best man. That was his plan. And Samson, uh, and, and, and he suggested, why don't you take one of my younger, more beautiful daughters? And this was Samson's response. And he said to them, this time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when, when I do them harm. So Samson went down and caught 300 foxes and took torches, and he turned them, turned them tail to tail and put, port, uh, put a torch between their tails. So essentially, he took a whole bunch of foxes, or most likely jackals, because they kind of uh, run in packs in that area. Uh, it's, this is not to say this all happened at one time, because this is kind of a fantastical story here. 300 jackals or foxes, and I don't know how he would have done this on his own. Maybe he didn't do it on his own. We, we're not entirely sure. But what ended up happening here is that he let uh, these foxes run through the, the wheat fields, the stores of grain, and absolutely demolished their, uh, their food for a long time. And uh, you see Samson's rage coming out. You see his anger coming out. Again, he shouldn't have been doing any of this in the first place if he was to stick to his calling, uh, stick to what he was supposed to do and how he was supposed to lead. In verse 6 of uh, chapter 15, it says, And the Philistines said, Who has done this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burned her father, her and her father, with fire. And Samson said to them, If this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you. And after that, I will quit. And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow, and went downward and stayed in the cleft of the rock of Edom. As the story continues, in his anger, he, he created more chaos. He killed, he struck them, and then he went into hiding. It's important here that you begin to realize how lonely Samson is now. He has none of his people with him. Even at his own bachelor party, it was basically the Philistine men that were supporting him in this marriage. His people weren't there. And now he sort of exiled himself to this, this rock he's hiding uh, from both the Philistines and, and his people. Samson had no more family and could trust vir- virtually no one. He lived like a fugitive, alone in a cave. The story continues, Then the Philistines came up and encamped Judah and made a raid on Lehi. And then the men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? They said, we have come up to bind Samson to do to him what he has done to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Edom and said to Samson, do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is that you have done this to us? And he said to them, as they did to me, I have done to them. It's really important here what's happening um, the Philistines came to attack the Israelites. The Israelites are wondering why. Like, I thought we were living in peace. I thought everything was good. In the midst of being controlled by the Philistines, the Israelites had this assumption that everything was fine. And this, again, is a small hint as to how the rule of the Philistines was different from the rule of other nations 
uh, even in the stories that we've seen before, because there was always conflict, there was always war, there was always oppression, there was a clear, um, uh, there was a clear force against the people of Israel. But it seems here that they thought everything was fine, and he, they come to to Samson to try and capture him now. And they said to him, "We have come down to bind you that we may." that we may give you to the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not attack me yourself. They said to him, No, we will only bind you and give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two ropes and brought him, in front, uh, brought him up from the rock. It's really interesting uh, that his own people now are, are giving him up. It only further emphasizes how alone he must feel in the midst of this struggle. Verses 14 to 17. When he came up to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arm became like flax that he caught, that caught fire, and, and his bound metals off his hands. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put out his hand and took it, and went with it, struck a thousand men. And Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have struck down a thousand men. He's done this great thing. As soon as he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone out of his hand, and the place was called Brameth-Lehi, which basically means jawbone. And he he was very thirsty and called upon the Lord and said, You have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant, and now I die of thirst to fall into the hands of the uncircumcised. So he did this great thing. The Holy Spirit came upon him, and he killed a thousand men with a bone. And in spite of that, you still see, no matter how great he is, no matter how strong he is, he was still in need of God. He was thirsty. He could have died of thirst. And then God provided. God split open the hollow place that is at Lehi, and the water came out. And when he drank, his spirit returned. He was revived. Therefore, the name was called En-Hakore. It is at Lehi to this day. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines for 20 more years. His exploits were so great that the name of the place became Jawbone Hill. He was this mighty man. And unlike most of the other judges, he didn't go with an army. He was a one-man army. He was alone. It was kind of unique in this story. Still, God provides for him in the midst of all of his anger, in the midst of all of his brokenness. God is working out his sovereign will in the midst of all of this, in spite of the fact that he was being disobedient over and over again. What does this tragic story mean for us today? I mean, hopefully we're not going to be picking up any jawbones soon. But I think all of us can understand that we are disobedient at times. I think we can acknowledge that we're not deserving of God's forgiveness or His grace. From this story, I think we learn three things. It shows us that we have a great threat in our enticing, 
culture that is not godly. I've read in Judges many, I've read this story many times, especially to my daughter, but I've, I've never noticed this until now that Israel faces a lot of enemies in the book of Judges. You have the Ammonites, the Midianites, the Moabites. God raised up judges like Deborah, Barak, Gideon, and we've gone through these stories here before to rescue Israel because they were being oppressive to them. They found their courage and God helped them. They dealt with their oppressors because they were so nasty. The Philistines particularly were dangerous because they weren't cruel. Actually, they got along well with the Israelites. They intermarried. They absorbed the Israelites. They developed economic ties. What was so bad about that? If Israel became too comfortable with the Philistines, they would end up completely assimilated into that culture. Within a couple of generations, we would maybe not know of who the Israelites were. Uh, Tim Keller writes uh, in one of his books, In short, the Israel, Israel, Israel's encapsulation to the Philistines is far more profound and complete than any of the previous enslavements. In the past, Israel groaned and agonized under their occupation by pagan powers because, of their, dominion, because their dominion was military and political. But now, people are virtually unconscious of their enslavement because, it's nat- because of its nature, that, of the, that is of cultural accommodation. The Israelites did not groan and resist their captors now because they have completely adopted and adapted to their values, mores and idols of the Philistines. Like Samson himself, the Israelites were eager to marry into the Philistine society, probably in ways to move up in the culture, do well for their businesses. The Israelites no longer had a recognizable culture of their own one based on service to the Lord. We can exaggerate the danger to Israel a little bit. The Israelites were on the brink of extinction. Within a couple of generations, they could have been completely amissed to the Philistines. When we think about that in our lives, we sort of wonder, how is our culture enticing us? Because our culture has a lot of things to say about how happy we would be with this much money in our bank accounts. How happy we would be if we drank and partied all the time. How happy we would be if we had this particular career. How happy we would be if we were in this particular relationship. We need to remember that our for us as believers in Jesus and for everybody, true happiness comes from abiding in being with and, and understanding our love that we get from God. That's where true joy and happiness comes from. We are warned in Scripture in Romans uh, 12, 1 to 2, there's an appeal that Paul is putting forth. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What happens when we end up conformed to this world? We are indistinguishable from everyone around us. Our surroundings, our culture right now is anything but godly. The media is full of stuff that doesn't honor God. 
We need to remember and be careful of this. Russell Moore says this, a church that loses its distinctiveness has nothing distinctive in which to engage the culture. We're called to be the salt of the earth, the light in this world. But the more and more we conform, the more and more we lay aside how God has called us to live, we lose that distinctiveness. We lose our witness. So our world is enticing, but this is not the greatest combination. We are also weak at heart. We see Samson uh, display many, uh, many characteristics of a weak human being, a weak man. He was impulsive. He's a completely sensual man in the most basic uh, definition of the term. He, he senses uh, his senses control him. He reacts to how he feels about what he sees without reflection or consideration. He sees and so he takes. This general impulsiveness leads to very specific weaknesses in his story. And you learn, uh, you learn some of that today. You'll definitely learn more of that the next time. You see him react in anger. He's also unteachable. He's dismissive of his parents' counsel and authority. When Samson's parents tell him not to marry the Philistine woman, he doesn't listen. He does whatever he wants. He does whatever he fancies. He doesn't, he doesn't want to learn from anybody. And I know I fall into both of these things often in my life. I'm not always teachable. I can act very impulsively. I hope some of you guys can relate with that. This often leads us to the question is how are disciples of Jesus supposed to live? We're supposed to be teachable. Instead of being unteachable, we have to be, have a full heart of a, a disciple that understands that God is God and that one day we'll be accountable to him for every thought, everything that we do. It means that we come and look at his word because we want to submit to him in every detail of our lives. God gives us these instructions on how to live, and as we've, read in, as we've read in Romans 12, we're, we're, we're slaves to his righteousness, his glory. He is Lord over our lives. We're called to be submissive. Instead of being impulsive, we need to be submissive before God. We, we want to understand that dying to self, to ourselves, and living for him is how we were built to live in the first place. Jesus teaches us that for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it, Matthew 16, 25. So as you can imagine here, very much like Samson, we're confronted with this high calling. We can be given this great skill from the Holy Spirit. I hope that we can acknowledge in the story of Samson that in spite of his disobedience, the Holy Spirit still worked in him, which, means that, which also means that we can be skilled and gifted and given great things by God. It doesn't mean that we're mature about it. It doesn't mean that we necessarily use it in the best ways. We need to be teachable. We need to be people that are not impulsive, that submit to authority. And that's something... Also very countercultural. We don't like that word. 
to submit to something. We love making our own decisions. We love to do all of those things. But as a, as a body of Christ, I hope, especially knowing uh, the type of body that we are in missional communities, people that care about you, uh, want to be part of your lives and, and, and lead you to Jesus continually. I hope that, you know, as you come to Crossroads in your life, many of you young people especially that would consider seeking advice from people that are older than you, that have lived longer than you, that are followers of Jesus and, and fear God. That's such a gift um, as, as we're a part of a church. But again, we're confronted with this reality that this is a very high calling it almost seems impossible. We need to remember that we see the hope that we have in the gospel that comes from the gospel. What hope is there for a guy like Samson or myself? According to Judges, a lot. Uh, Judges, again, Judges 14.4 says, His father and his mother did not know it was from the Lord that he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines at the time the Philistines ruled over Israel. Uh, we've read this. God wasn't responsible for Samson's sin, but he was able to work in spite of it. This is the great news of the gospel. God uses weak, flawed people. He even reminds us that their sin uh, and uses them for his purposes. He reminds us continuously. So we read, um, when he killed a lion, the Spirit of God came upon him. If we read the Bible and think about all of these great people and, 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 and the fact that like, it, it's just a list of laws or morals that we have to live by, we, we, we miss the picture. Tim Keller says this, if you ever feel that way about reading the Bible, that the Bible is a collection of moral fables showing us good examples, it shows you that you don't understand the message of the Bible. You are imposing your understanding of the message on the Bible. You're assuming that the message of the Bible is God blesses and saves those who live morally exemplary lives. That is not the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is that God persistently and continuously gives his grace to people who don't ask for it and do not deserve it and don't even fully appreciate it after they get it. We're not deserving of this grace. We're not deserving of being in this relationship with God, but that's what we're built for. So not only do we have this high calling and this opportunity, God also presents the way in order to get it. Um, I don't know if the slide came up, but the first slide that I had, this picture of John Jones, uh, one of my favorite fighters, uh, he had on his body a tattoo. And uh, I've always found it interesting that he has this tattoo of Philippines 4.13. He was asked about it and he basically said it was his sister's favorite verse in the Bible. And I don't know exactly what's going on in his life. I'm not an expert. I'm not following him around like a stalker or anything like that. But I do know what the verse says. It says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I don't know exactly what's going on in all of your lives. Some of us might be following God, abiding in his word, being led by him, experiencing joy. And that's really awesome. Praise God. God would rather work in your obedience. So praise God for that. 
There might be some of us who are followers of Jesus that are really struggling. Struggling with a particular sin issue, struggling with lust, rage, uh, whatever it might be. We're fighting with God, we're wrestling with Him. Some of us may not be followers of Jesus at all. I'm glad that you're here, that you're learning about God. But know that even in your life, God wants to be a part of your life. He wants, to, uh, he wants you to abide in Him, be obedient to Him, because we were all created by Him. He knows exactly how we should live. But we don't have to do it on our own. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross, He has overcome the shackles that we have to the sin and brokenness in our lives. So whatever the sin issue is, know that Christ has defeated it on the cross. And this is really powerful for us. And as we continue to live, we don't try to accomplish living holy lives or righteous lives as it reads in Romans on our own. He provides the Holy Spirit for us. I pray that no matter what is being leapt on top of you, I pray that you allow the Holy Spirit to leap onto you to protect you and and help you overcome the things that you're experiencing. Not necessarily that the pain or the 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 sin issue just automatically goes away that's not what i'm saying but the holy spirit gives you strength to live through it abide in god through it and be obedient i hope that samson is a cautionary tale for us but maybe someone that we can also relate with we are weak we are broken yet god is strong let's pray lord jesus i thank you We're recipients of such a high calling on our lives. We're called to live as righteous people. We're called to make disciples. God, I wake up some mornings and I don't know how. I thank you, God, that I don't have to come up with the answer. I don't have to work up this ladder to achieve anything from you. Lord, that you give it freely in the form of Jesus Christ and you even provide a way to abide in you through the strength of your Holy Spirit. I pray, God, that the Holy Spirit would leap into our lives, that we would feel your presence in our lives more tangibly. Lord, help us learn to experience your love, to be filled by it, to experience your joy to not be impulsive, to not just do whatever our fleshly desires tell us to do, whether we would focus on you, whether we'd be teachable and submissive to you. I pray, God, that if someone needs a mentor in their lives, if someone needs uh, counseling in their lives, if someone needs a friend, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would leap into their hearts. That you would provide the things that we need. Forgive us uh, if we think that we have everything and we don't need you because that's such a lie. Thank you, God, for your blessings. Thank you, God, that we can abide in you and feel your love. In Jesus' name, amen.